Welcome once again to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to James Keto, Vice President of Sales for Samsung. Since joining the South Korean technology giant in 2017, Keto's been heavily involved in business development across mobile, tablet, wearable, audio and memory segments of the business, while launching new products across the UK and Ireland. These include the Galaxy S10, Note 10 and the Galaxy Watch, with Samsung now the UK's fastest growing watch brand. In this wide-ranging interview, Keto and I discuss the future of mobile technology and Samsung's strategy in terms of 5G rollout and customer loyalty. James, we've just sat down to do this interview and you've got an object in your hand. I mean, show me. I it's, do. Uh, that looks really very, very interesting. Thank I'm, you. I'm a bear of little brain. I've not seen one of those before up close. This is the Samsung Galaxy Flip 3. And as you can see, it flips open. And one of our two new folding devices that we brought to market over the course of the last couple of years, but these ones we brought to market uh, just end of last year. As you see, you, you can fold this device to make it an incredibly small compact form factor. But when you open it up, it is a full fat smartphone on the inside. You know, all the screen real estate you'd expect. So yeah, it's just an example of the types of things that Samsung is doing to bring innovation to market and to meet consumer demand. Because mobile phones, they are getting quite big, aren't they? They're getting a bit lumpy and chunky in the pocket of a jacket or in a, your handbag or so on. But that's much smaller. Yet you can open it up and, and watch a film on a wider screen or maybe take part in a conference call. You could, yeah. I mean, of course, you've actually got a little screen on the front, so you've got all the notifications coming through to you before you open it up. You're absolutely right. It's incredibly compact. Back of your jeans pocket in a small clutch bag. Um, and also the screen is protected, of course, when it's closed. You know, so one of those classic issues we seem to have in the industry is around broken screens. Well, this, this screen is protected when you're not using it. But you're right. When the screen's open, you can consume a movie when you hold it that way. You can prop it up on a table bent half open and of course oh, the front clever. camera uh, so it acts like a laptop yeah a mini laptop you've got a selfie camera pointing straight at you great for video calls and of mm. course we've we've all learned how to use video calls in the last couple oh, of years crikey don't tell me <laughs> so tell us about your journey in mobile phones i think you first owned a mobile phone in the early 90s it must have been the size of a shoebox it was quite big yeah <laughs> I, I i think i was one of the I, i've been a tech enthusiast all my life and i think my first phone it'll age me is was was in 1997 in fact, no, 1993, excuse me. And I've had the same phone number ever since. Uh, one of the first kids at school to have a phone. And of course, that was uh, much excitement. And was for it a Nokia? It was a Nokia. Did it go... It, it did. And it had an almighty aerial that was permanently sticking out the top of it. It was pretty sizable. Everyone under 30 um, is thinking, what's that bloke going on about? But we know, don't we? Because that was the ringtone. We were there. And no one knew how to change the ringtone. No, you could. It didn't even have snake on it at the time. But... Um, <laughs> But, um, but look, I, I was one of a few who kind of really got into tech at an early age. I, I, I was obsessed by mobile technology, actually. Um, and it really shaped kind of who I was uh, in, in the early days. But I went to university. I got a degree and then I moved out of that to London. I came and I ended up working in consultancy um, in and around technology, but also in and around you know, a whole raft of different companies, as you do in consulting. Um, but I was always drawn to technology, drawn to new innovations in the market. And I didn't know at that point that one day I would be working for Nokia and then you know, in the mobile, mobile industry um, that I find myself in, of course, uh, in the UK now and uh, now with Samsung. So yes, technology and mobile technology in particular has been a big part of what I've been uh, involved in for over 20 years. Well, you hold a very senior position here in Samsung in the UK. Tell us about the company. It's obviously a South Korean company. 
you've got, I think, a 24% market share in the world of mobile phones. That's bigger than Apple. It is, and it's much more than that in the UK, uh, I'm pleased to say. But yeah, it's a fascinating company. It is driven by consumers. It's driven by the desire to bring innovation to market and importantly, to democratize innovation. You know, what we do is lead where others follow. And you can see that in every product that, uh, that Samsung's involved in, yeah, be it the ones I'm involved in in the UK around mobile, tablets, computing, but even wider than that in, uh, in networking capabilities, in television, in white goods, right across, uh, right across the market, Samsung stands for innovation, an incredibly driven organization. But as I said, at the heart of it, our drive is to deliver innovations for consumers uh, and to ensure that everyone has the benefit of new and latest technologies, not just the preserve of the few. So really about democratizing it and making it available to everyone. Now, we've just been through lockdown, of course. Now we're in a cost of living crisis. It's never dull, is it? But seriously, there is less disposable income around, if you like. Um, What's happened in the round to the sales of mobile phones in the UK over the last couple of years as we've been through this sort of double whammy, first the pandemic, then the war between Russia and Ukraine? Well, gr great question. And I think um, yeah, the COVID um, the pandemic has had a huge impact on everybody's lives. And it's not over. And we must remember that. You know, Our first thoughts are with anyone who's been affected or remains and continues to be affected by, by COVID. My hope is, and our hope is that we're through it now. Um, but you're right, that impact on us uh, as individuals, as a, as a human race, and of course, you know, you know as, as business people, as families, as, as friends in the UK was, was quite monumental. Um, but we all lent towards technology. Mm. Um, whether we knew it at the time, yeah, we knew that technology was becoming an increasingly important factor in our lives to help us bridge some of those challenges that COVID threw at us. So we saw in the UK a big demand of course, wow. for yeah, computing and for tablet products, for kids to be educated at home all of a sudden. We were suddenly inundated with the ability to, or the, the demand for us to have to educate our children, um, uh, which was quite a challenge for many, many people across the UK. We had to work from home. We had to find new ways of connecting with each other where traditionally, and certainly I can speak from experience, our business was a, and is a very face-to-face -face business. We were suddenly forced to build new processes and work with each other in, in totally different ways. But that also had a big, big demand on technology uh, right across the different categories that we play in. Um, demand was very, very high, and it has been high for the last couple of years. And I think yeah, actually without these technologies, we wouldn't have been able to connect and communicate and shop and live and work and entertain ourselves in, in the way, thankfully, we've been able to do. Uh, and I th sometimes reflect on if this pandemic had happened, you know, even just five, six, seven years ago. I don't know whether or not we'd have really been able to you know, quite get through it the way, the way we have. Well, lockdown might not have happened because it might not have been possible. You couldn't have governed the country. I mean, you know, essential services couldn't have happened. You wouldn't have had that connectivity. Very true. I, I think it's fair to say, James, isn't it, that for an increasing number of people, not everybody, but an increasing number of people, a smartphone, not just a mobile phone, but a smartphone linked to the internet with apps and so on, is seen not as a luxury, but it's seen as a necessity, uh, 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 something that you need for your job or to live your life in a kind of um, conventional way. Of course, not for all people, but for a lot of people. Does that mean that as this cost of living squeeze gets tighter, you'd expect people, yes, to buy phones, but maybe not to upgrade, maybe not to go for the flashiest specification, maybe not to see a phone as a luxury good, as a piece of bling or a piece of fashion. Of course, there'll be high-end people that are always going to want the best, uh, the ritziest, the flashiest. But do you think what I said before is true across 
part of the population? Well, I think it's, it's a really interesting question. And actually, recent data shows that one in three people only connect to the internet via a mobile phone. Mm. So if we think about that for a second, they don't connect via a computer or via mm. a home broadband. Their primary connection portal into the internet and to obviously apps and services and everything else around the internet is through a mobile device. And that's quite a fascinating fact mm. in itself. Mm. Um, and it's one that, of course, means that yeah, demand is high uh, for mobile products. But it's important for us to ensure that you know, we deliver you know, great value for money for customers. And we have a portfolio that spans from £150 you know, much, much higher than that across every single price point. And How much is the most expensive phone? Well, I mean, if you want a Go phone on. that folds open like a book and inside there you've got a seven-inch screen like a mini tablet, um, but it's also got a fantastic camera array and amazing screen and battery, that's the fold product we deliver. You know, it's about £1,400, £1,500, but that is action-packed technology inside that device. But you know, we're about... And it's kind of halfway between... a. A phone and a kind of oh, you tablet. Can, you can replace your tablet and your laptop and combine that all into a phone. So when you look at it like that, you know, you've got a product for every single type of consumer. I was going to say an iPad, consumer. but I didn't. Yeah, best not to say. Um, <laughs> but, but for tablets, yeah, you can replace a tablet in a product like that uh, and really deliver amazing mobility. But I think you raise a really interesting point. We have a portfolio right across the spectrum for all of our consumers at every price point. Um, but we're also super focused on affordability. So when customers are coming back into market, ensuring that they can trade in their old devices, giving them an opportunity to get value back for the device. And we've all, I'm sure, got a drawer at home full of old devices that we don't use anymore. Actually extracting value from those products is a really, really important part of what we do and support the market in doing. That gives you value back for a product you're not using. It means that that product can get recycled, reutilized, either to extract the important materials that are inside that device or you know, to get more value from that and put it back into the secondary market and sold as a second-hand phone or passed down, we need to ensure that these technology products that we are all you know, using day-to-day -day are being reused and ensuring we get maximum value out of those products. But trading in is a really core vehicle to ensure that we mm. can make these products affordable. Mm. Uh, in terms of uh, ownership cycles, consumers on average own their, product, uh, their mobile phone for about 30, 31 months is the, really? uh, is the industry data. Less than three years. So certainly less than three years. And that trend is kind of hovering around that mm. period. Uh, and that reflects the fact that, you know, industry, uh, our industry and the technology in our products you know, continues to move at pace. But it's very, very apparent to us. We have to ensure that we're bringing you, you know, the latest and greatest you know, innovations and features uh, to ensure that you, you want to upgrade. And we're giving you a reason to upgrade because there's real value can be had there. Again, think back to the pandemic, the types of things you can now do on a phone, you know, connecting with friends, working genuinely remotely from anywhere with 5G connectivity uh, is something that wasn't possible three years ago. Now, we brought 5G products to market before anybody else, and we've democratized 5G across our entire portfolio. And that's very different to many of our other competitors who still will preserve that to, to their much higher-end products. And we're, we're about ensuring that you can have access to the right technology at the right price point to meet your needs. I want to ask you about 5G rollout across the UK, yeah. because for all our tech savvy, we're a long way behind. But I want to get straight on to now your thoughts about where you think mobile phones are going. You talked about uh, the, the, the best and the greatest. Even if people aren't sort of techie in their own mind, we all like to get an upgrade and our phone can do more things. Uh, and that helps us to interact with our friends. What could the mobile phone become? Where could we end up with these devices? Could they, you must sit in sort of futurology seminars with your consulting background now, 
at Samsung. Are these things going to be embedded inside us? Are, they going to, are we going to swallow them? And what, what's going to happen? It's a great question. And, and if I knew the answer, I don't know where I'd be. But if I look at... We'd the, be in business. If I, if I look at the industry over the last 30-odd years that I've kind of been in and around it uh, as a consumer and then, of course, working in it, there's kind of been chapters, right? That first chapter was that kind of feature phone, the, the kind of large brick in the 90s that became a, a smaller, really quite pocket-sized feature phone. But there was the feature phone era. And then, of course, that went into the mobile email era. And we all remember that era. Um, but that was it. It was kind of a feature phone. Well, that? yeah, of course. BlackBerry. <laughs> and you, you, know, you had a product that you could use as a phone, but also do email on the go. And then, of course, that was a yeah, pretty chunky period of, of the industry. Yeah. Then, of course, we moved into that feature-rich smartphone world that we're in right now, which was about camera phone, was about amazing camera technology. That means you don't need to carry a DSLR anymore. You've got camera capability on a really flashy, like heavy camera. Well, I mean, yeah, this is the, 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 S, this is the S22 Ultra. This has an amazing array of cameras on the back of it. You can see them all on there, including a hundred times zoom. You can take photos on this phone as good as any DSLR from a few years ago. This is a phenomenal piece of kit. Um, and of course, it means that you've miniaturized everything and you really are you know, leading into a future that is video centric, that is photo centric in any lighting conditions, particularly in low lighting conditions with what we call nightography. So, so where next? Well, quite. So foldable phones, as I've shown Tell you already. Tell us what we need that we haven't even thought of. Well, fo <laughs> foldable devices are forecast to be 30% of the mobile market in only a couple of years' time. And that's okay. not our forecast. That's in, yeah, Industry analysts are believing that foldable devices will absolutely Other folding become, devices are available, I just have to say. Not that. many. Um, <laughs> but, but at the moment, you know, we are leading the way in folding yeah. devices with our foldable that opens up, our, our Galaxy Fold and the, and the Galaxy Flip I showed you here. And I think that opens up a new way of working, a new way of you know, being able to do what you do anywhere. And I think we're seeing that as we come out of COVID. You know, and I'm experiencing that. I'm working in the office. I'm working at home. I'm working, you know, when I'm down at a holiday, you know, I'll, I'll work down there, the family on holiday, and I'll, I'll work from a holiday you know, you know, rental or a hotel or whatever it might be. And a few years ago, that wasn't possible. And I think the technology we now have available to us, particularly the mobile phone technology we have, allows us to be connected. Yeah, super fast video connection via 5G, you know, all day battery life. You can access cloud documents. You, know, you can work on them in real time. You can share in real time. So that's kind of the here and now. Imagine where that goes in the future. Well, well let's imagine because in, in pretty much in my lifetime, we've gone from computers taking up a whole room to then it, computers taking up a whole desk, yeah. then part of the desk. Then the computer was in your briefcase or your handbag. Then it was in your pocket. Now your computer can be on your wrist. Yeah, well, and, and I think I think are we going to are we going to embed computers in ourselves? I, I don't know, but I think we <laughs> That's are. Where it's going, isn't it? Well, we're certainly putting them on our wrists, and <laughs> yeah. I think the technology on our wrist is getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Yeah, it's measuring your vital health statistics, which I think is a good thing, not a scary thing, because this is about you know tracking long term trends in your own personal health data, whether that is body temperature, whether that is you know, your blood, blood oxygen, whether that is your heart rate. And this can lead to healthier living. It can help. You know, Higher insurance premiums. Well, I mean, it can certainly <laughs> ensure that you take the right actions to keep sure. yourself healthy. Um, you know, 
So we're already wearing computers effectively on our devices, but also connected devices on our, on our wrist, like a watch. You can certainly take calls and use a watch as a, a primary interface for making and receiving phone calls. And so you can see where that's going. Um, you know, others across the industry are, invest, are investing in wearable technology, you know, even glasses, et cetera. So I think that mm. may be a, a mm. trend for, you know, for further down the line. I think it's a fascinating industry to be in. And you can make sure, uh, you can be under no uh, you know, illusions that, 10 years from now, we'll be sat here going, wow, the kinds of technology that have evolved from you know, Samsung and players around us has truly revolutionized how we are accessing internet, connecting, communicating, engaging with each other, playing games, and so on and so forth. Just like it was 10 years ago when you remember we were walking around you know, looking at email on our rather large phone at the time. So a lot changes in this industry in quite a small space of time. Why are the South Koreans so good at tech? I think they're incredibly driven. I think they are, they are motivated to innovate and continually innovate. And then, as I said already, about then ensuring that that innovation is available to many, not just a few. Democratizing innovation is at the real heart of, of what the South Korean economy is about. And I think, as you know, Samsung is at the absolute heart of that. Uh, and they do a brilliant job in ensuring that you know, our worldwide market share uh, is, you know, as you said, you know, market leading and continuing to grow. So economists like me, we stare at data and we try and work out what's going on. You're a practitioner. You're on the sales and marketing side uh, here in the UK, but you're very closely in touch, obviously, with Samsung's manufacturing powerhouse, if you like. How difficult was it during lockdown getting hold of those semiconductors, getting hold of all the, the, the rare earth materials you need, the minerals? You know, the supply chains were um, stymied. There was lots of issues for manufacturers of any product, let alone a super complex product like the ones you've got in front of you. How was it? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, the world saw unprecedented demand, as I mentioned already, but because of COVID and the, the types of technologies that people were needing to use in order to, you know, to do the things that before they were relying on more face-to-face -face, you know, interactions to, to deliver. So massive increase in demand. Uh, at the same time, of course, you know, COVID having impact on, you know, production and, and upstream kind of capabilities in terms of componentry right across right across our industry but but every other industry really so so really an unprecedented time now the good thing about samsung is that we manufacture a lot of our own products and componentry yeah. uh, whether that's chipsets and of course screens yeah. etc that we are very famous for in our tv business as well as in our in our mobile business so you know, i wouldn't say completely insulated but i think certainly kind of quite well protected a lot of our production uh, is outside of china in and around vietnam that also gives us an ability to kind of insulate a little bit away from what was happening in china but make no mistake it was a, it was and has been a very massive challenging demand supply constrained it's no wonder there was inflation across the world. I'm not saying that that's what's happened within Samsung, because from what I've seen, your prices have stayed we, we, pretty, we, yeah. pretty competitive. But it must have been frustrating for a sales and marketing guy like you. You know there's this huge demand and the supply machine's struggling to keep up. I, th I think we've done incredibly well to, to meet as much of that demand as possible, manage customer expectation. Consumer yeah. expectations is also a critical part uh, of any process like that. Um, as you say, in terms of the wider macroeconomic inflationary pressures going on, yeah, we're really pleased that when we announced and brought the S22 to market just a few months ago, we kept our entry price point for this model exactly the same as last year. So really bucking the trend of, of inflationary pressures there. And as I mentioned, 
mentioned already, focusing on initiatives to ensure that we can make it as affordable as possible through, uh, through trading, um, through obviously working with our partners to ensure that we get the best possible uh, value out of traded in products, but also making it a value add experience with the likes of Disney Plus and other products like that that we're bundling or, or making accessible to our customers uh, so they get maximum value out of our products. And I think an important point here is that it's not just about the mobile phone. We are, we're selling an ecosystem of products from mobile phones, from wearables, from computers, from tablets, and we are ensuring that those products work incredibly seamlessly together. And I think that's a really big trend that we are going to continue to see over the next few years. It was traditional that you know, in our data set, one in five customers had more than one Galaxy or Samsung product. We're seeing that ownership go to one in three and continuing to grow. And of course, as you have more products, you can start to extract much more value out of how they mm. work together in a really seamless fashion. So that's certainly a trend. Linking to, your to phone to your television and, and so Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Streaming, streaming content, beaming it onto your TV, you know, video calling, beaming that onto your TV or beaming you know, content from your laptop onto your tablet so you've suddenly got two screens when you're out on the go. Mm. Um, the kind of things that normally would be the preserve of the office, you know, when we're enabling these types of solutions you know, no matter where you happen to be working. And I think that's really powerful for, you know, for, for, for workers and for people alike when they think about connecting with each other. Now, Brits of a certain age, certainly me, I associate, I mean, Samsung really came to prominence in my mind with you know, really good flat screen TVs a long way before others, certainly you, you cornered a lot of the British market. But just tell us about the company as a whole. What sort of share of the company's total turnover is mobile phones? What share is TVs? What else does Samsung make? Is it now predominantly a mobile phone business? Samsung has, um, and actually we've recently uh, reorganized at a global level and into the UK level as well around uh, a new business unit called DX, device experience. And that is to the point earlier about how our products work seamlessly together with each other, whether that is our white goods business, uh, you know, so our washing machines, fridges, et cetera, or our uh, audiovisual business with TV and soundbars, or of course the mobile business uh, that I'm responsible for in the UK and Ireland around obviously mobiles, tablet, computing, wearables, et cetera. Uh, the interoperability of these products working together seamlessly. You've heard of the, the internet of things, but what that really means is just how these products seamlessly connect and talk to each other to provide you with real value. And we have a, a platform. Uh, Adjusting your fridge using your phone. Well, yeah, but, um, and there's some really strong yeah. use cases yeah. there, you know, turning off your oven if you've left it on or, or at least getting a notification to say you, you might have left it on or, or the, that it's ready. If you're managing a heating bill, it can really help. Managing heating bills, absolutely using this real-time data through a platform we have called SmartThings allows you to do exactly that. Turn off and on devices remotely, set timers, uh, track energy usage through your devices or yeah, turn off and on your washing machine or set programs and so on and so forth. But, so but, some really but, useful but, use cases there. But what share of, of turnover in the UK and Ireland would is, is mobile phones compared to the TVs and the washing well, machines? I, I can't really comment on the specifics. I mean, it's yeah. fair to say um, that the mobile industry is sizable in the UK. Uh, and, you know, and as a consequence of the fact that people buy and replace these products quite regularly because of the nature of the innovations and the, you know, their needs and desire uh, to, to ensure they're always up to date with some of the latest technologies available, you know, the replacement cycle of a phone is slightly greater than that yeah, of yeah. a washing machine of course, or a TV, yeah. et cetera. Um, and so you know, that has an implication on kind of the size or the relative size. You know, they're very big markets, as is the TV market, where we are a very, very strong player in the premium and right across the market. And of course, in, in white goods and in the, yeah, in the home goods as well, we are a very, very big player and market leader in many of those core categories. Given who you are, James, and, and what you do, I do think 
um, you have uh, a really good vantage point from which to look at the UK economy, the, the, the feel of it. One of our earliest um, Money Talks interviews was with uh, Graham MacDonald, who's the CEO of, of, of JCB, a different part of the economy, but similarly somebody who's involved in advanced manufacturing and has a real sense of where the economy is going. Um, what's your take on, on where we are? We were meant to be in the middle of a post-pandemic uh, bounce back. The UK economy was going to grow by 6% this year. Mm. It's just been downgraded by the IMF to 3.7%. A lot of economists think that growth could actually be a fair bit less than that if the Russia-Ukraine war lingers on. What's your sense? Yeah, I, look, I think there's a lot of external factors, as you mentioned. And, uh, and of course, what's going on in Ukraine is at the center of our thoughts at the moment, certainly in terms of you know, the humanitarian impact on anyone involved in and around that part of the world right now. Um, but that, of course, is a big macroeconomic shock that you know, wasn't forecast. And the World Bank's called it plan. a catastrophe for the world economy. Yeah. So, of course, we're all with you. We always think of the humanitarian impacts. But this is a major economic event. It is. Which itself has humanitarian knock-ons for people who are thousands of miles from Ukraine. Yeah, and, and it is. And I think if we look at what's going on right now in the UK economy, you know, wage inflation is a real thing. Uh, price inflation, you know, RPI inflation is real. Um, and then, of course, you've got the energy price impact, uh, which is kind of... Yeah, yeah, more than just inflation. I mean, these are huge, huge price rises that that you know, normal consumers and everyone and businesses are having to having to, to to stump up. So that is going to have an impact. I mean, there's no denying that there's going to be a you know a sharp impact on disposable income for for everybody across the across the UK economy. And, and you're in charge of one of the major consumer good brands in this country, one of the major consumer good brands in the world. There are decisions to take, aren't they? There are strategies to map out when you know consumers are feeling a bit, possibly a lot more stretched. And I think you know, we have to do what we can to ensure that we are delivering you know, great value for money. We're making our products accessible. We're making our products as affordable as possible. We're giving consumers choice. Uh, as I mentioned already, we're democratizing technology. So we are making 5G connectivity that gives you access to hyper-fast internet speeds, hyper-fast ability to work and connect remotely. Um, at a range of price points, you know, and so we'll, we'll do our bit to ensure that we democratize and, you know, our, our, our innovations and make those available. We'll also then do what we can to support consumers through trading programs uh, so that you can extract value from the product you've already got. Uh, again, that helps reduce your bill, reduce the cost of the new product you're looking to buy. And so, yeah, there are things that we can do to support uh, and ensure that consumers um, still have access to great technology, but have access to that at the most affordable way we can. Now, we know that you know, these products are you know, central to our lives. They were before the pandemic. They remain absolutely pivotal to how we connect, how we work how we engage, how we entertain, how we educate, you know, the list is long. Possibly more so, given the way the world of work is changing. There is. And, you know, you could re redraw, you know, Maslow's you know, you know, hierarchy of needs and, you know, many others have done so. And, and you know, your, your, your mobile phone and your subscription Shelter, food. is, is somewhere, <laughs> near, somewhere near the pretty, you know, pretty top end of, of, uh, of that list. And, and so I think, you know, it, it's an important um, thing we need to face into in terms of the economic pressures uh, facing this country and consumers right across this country. Uh, and and we're, yeah, we'll do everything we can in our powers to support customers to make sure they can get best value from us. On that, James, final question. When I look at you know, fast 
full fiber broadband rollout across the world. South Korea, 99%. Sweden, 95%. Yeah. We're miles behind, aren't we? We're, why is that? And what impact is that having on your ability to roll out the products you want to roll out well, I, here in the UK, given that 5G in this country is so patchy? Well, I think 5G, interestingly, the UK was one of the first global countries to roll out 5G. We technology. always are. Well, no, for 4G, we weren't. For 4G, we were, we were late no, to the party. But we're so often at the cutting edge of technology, and then we're not so good, often rubbish at innovating, you know, implementing the technology, using it to full effect. Yeah, well, I would say on 5G, we did buck that trend. 5G, and of course, that's the networks that are rolling out 5G. Samsung is involved in network mm. uh, technologies that support, uh, obviously, that. It's not my specific area of domain. Sure. But, of course, what I'm involved in is, is selling products to the consumer um, that use 5G technology. And, I, and I'm really proud that our portfolio, 50% of the sales we're making now, if not more, are 5G capable But the coverage devices. is still quite patchy it, compared to Spain. Well, it's growing rapidly in the, in the major city centers. And of course, you know, and it's spreading out across the UK. The 5G coverage is growing at real pace. And I think that is, is different to the fixed line, um, mm. you know, broadband um, access that is available across the UK. And there's a lot going on in that space as well to really accelerate out the fixed line capabilities. But 5G does offer an alternative to fixed line. And that is, of course, you, know, you don't need to dig up streets mm. in order to have access to it. And there's a lot going on in innovation from, from Samsung as well around, you know, fixed mobile convergence, which basically is, you know, is using 5G technologies to deliver in-home uh, in home high-speed broadband connections, for example. So um, I, I think the UK is well-placed, actually. I think it's... Uh, we'll it's, get there. I, I think with 4G, <laughs> it's fair to say we were late to the party. I think with 5G, we're definitely at the party and right at the front of it. There's always more that the government and others could do to really accelerate out 5G, but I think they're doing a good job. Uh, certainly the networks are pushing 5G rollout at pace, and we're a big part of that with many of the key networks here in the UK. So I think we are well set. Um, to hopefully have 5G available right across the UK so that we can all you know, live and work in this new way that we found ourselves working in post-pandemic. James Kita of Samsung, thanks a lot for appearing on Money Talks. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show, On The Money, at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.